the idea that you can use the option market to get an extra 6% yield a year out of the banks while you wait for recovery, I think makes it interesting. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. As lower yields and higher volatility remain fixed on the horizon, investors are in need of creative solutions to meet long-term planning goals. In this episode, Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemuro discuss how to complement a defensive core position with satellite holdings that generate yield without adding unwanted risk to the portfolio. From covered calls to triple B-rated bonds, you will hear compelling ideas to take back to your client conversations. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada, covering mutual funds and ETFs. This morning, we are joined by Chris Heeks, portfolio manager on our ETF desk, focusing on equity and derivative strategies, of course, with uh, good backing across the entire shelf. And as well, Matt Montemiro, who focuses on our fixed income ETFs, but again, it's fully involved with the rest of the suite. Chris, let's start with you. Uh, I'd like to get an update on low volatility. Certainly, we've seen the market swinging around a fair bit this month. Certainly, the new economy and tech names up and down day by day. And we know the market risk coming into the fall. And we see the VIX remaining elevated near, eh, let's say, close to 30 but most investors don't see an option outside of investing in equity markets while they maintain uh, these high-level concerns about the economy and the election. So when you look at our low-ball ETFs, so ZLB, ZLU, um, do they deserve a higher allocation into the portfolio right now, or should we just be maintaining um, a steady, steady weight into the fall? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And that's exactly what low-ball ETFs are, are designed to do, is to give you that equity upside, equity participation and equity growth over, over the long period, but really shelter you when there's negative markets. You know, we've never really given up on low-ball, I'd say. We, we've leaned more heavily to quality in recent months. You know, I'd say the last six months have not really been a, a typical low-ball market since March 23rd. Obviously, markets are up significantly uh, but in the last month, we, we started to see that performance uh, come back around to low balls. And, and you've got low balls that will be in ZLU outperforming the broad markets over the past month. You know, I, 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 like I said, we've, we've always maintained some position. I think some position in low ball is certainly still warranted. Um, like you said, there's a lot of risks right now. And um, I don't think it's all priced into the market. I mean, we have got the second wave of COVID, obviously, is I think very much on everybody's radar right now. And, and the way it's looking right now is it's going to be um, potentially much worse in the fall than it was in the spring. So certainly that's a significant issue. And, and then in the U.S., obviously, the election volatility is going to be significant. And I think it's a pretty close race. Um, certainly, some states are going to be very close. 
And I think the likelihood of, of a litigated outcome is pretty high as well. And, and, you know, anytime you stretch risk out and the market can't price in, you know, what the kind of outcome is going to be, that's typically a negative for markets. So if we have like an election in the U.S. where uh, the lawyers are going at it for a month or two to say decide a Florida outcome or, you know, a, an outcome in a particular state, um, that's, that's going to be a negative for the market. We saw that in 2000 with uh, Gore and Bush that the market was down about 10%. Could be uh, potentially worse, but not, not to fear longer. I mean, we believe in equities long term, but low ball is that exposure that can obviously give you exposure to uh, equity growth, uh, but, but give you a measure of defensiveness as we're, de- we're investing in more um, less cyclical sectors, more defensive and stable sectors. So I think in the U.S., I'd still lean on quality as the number one pick, but I think having some ZLU in your portfolio as call it almost like equity insurance in a sense makes a lot of sense. And in Canada, I, you know, we've always said lean on ZLB, the, the go ball there. You know, I, I continue to look, uh, look to do that. Uh, it'll miss the odd rally. Like we've had a Shopify rally this year in Canada, which been, has been super significant. That's been a 4% gain. Um, to the TSX just from Shopify alone. So that'll be a miss out on these kind of odd um, rallies here and there. But I think for the long term, and just given all that the macro backdrop, it's, it's really got a strong performance uh, profile track record over the long term. And I think continuing to go forward, it'll be a prudent exposure. So certainly lean on ZLB. And I think having some ZLU in the U.S. also makes sense just given everything that's going on in the market. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, certainly with the risks out there and, you know, you talk about the uncertainty, not just of the election result, uh, but of the election process. I think uh, some caution there with low volatility is certainly warranted. Let's turn to another topic that we've spent a fair bit of time on the last few months. Uh, Gold has been holding steady, but reports persist that there's still a lot of room on this trade. It makes sense both as a defensive play and as an inflation hedge. Can you comment on your outlook for gold and gold equities like our ZGD and ZJG, uh, considering the recent stall we've we've had in the in the gold run? Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a nice segue. You know, gold is traditionally um, a really good asset to have to hedge against uh, negative downsides in, in equities. Uh, so it's a great hedging asset, and as you mentioned, it gives you an inflation hedge as well. Um, you know, let's, let's bring the Fed in here. The Fed is saying they're going to keep rates uh, near zero percent until 2023. So another two to three years of zero rates. You know, essentially this is this is just a, you know a record level of stimulus, and it's you know it's going to exceed uh, 2008 in terms of that stimulus. They really want to get the inflation up there as well. So there's, you know, there's been a real heavy kind of focus on getting back to two percent inflation, and you know, get restarting the economy and, and getting it going. And, and they mentioned, you know, they may have to overshoot on the inflation target just to just to make sure that they get there. So you've got this backdrop of, you know, really record stimulus and, and modern monetary theory, as as, as, uh, as many people call it, you know, which essentially, um, you know, printing money to some extent. You know, this is a backdrop that I think really favors the gold price first and foremost. Um, you know, I think having having this you know stimul- this environment of stimulation and, and um, inflation, like I said, really favors gold prices. So I think it's a, it's a great backdrop. 
Um, in terms of gold equities, you know, what you get with the gold equities, we talked about it before, is a, you get a bit of a leverage to the gold price uh, with the gold equities because you think about these miners, they've got a lot of fixed costs in, in terms of operating mines, and they're profitable at a certain level of gold. Well, let's say they're profitable at $1,500 in the gold price. If gold goes to 2000 then they their profits are going to increase kind of even more exponentially than than that return on the gold price alone. So they're, they're, they tend to be leveraged. Um, and you can see that in the returns year-to-date, ZGD, our global gold equal weights, up 40%. Uh, the gold price is up 25 If you look at that uh, versus the market lows, it's even more staggering. So where you have a, a, a backdrop where there's a lot of uh, stimulus going in, you know, there's, there's in general a lot of support for equities um, in general from, from central banks. I think the uh, you know having some gold miners in your portfolio can make a, a lot of sense. And we did see Warren Buffett uh, recently disclosed he purchased uh, a decent sized stake in Barrick, and he, I, to my recollection, has never purchased a gold company. It could be wrong on that, but certainly in the last many years, he's never he's never kind of even been in that market. Uh, so I like having a bit of that in portfolio. You don't need a ton. It's certainly a satellite position, um, a little more higher volatility, but I think will give you a nice hedge going forward. And, and I, I really like our global gold, you know, 35 names equally weighted. So they're about 3% each. We just rebalanced. And again, our equal weight sectors give you a nice clean sector exposure without overweighting any one stock. And, you know, just to mention on the short-term price dynamics, yeah, to, to your point, certainly gold's, um, I would say consolidating around this level. And when it's high, when a little parabolic a month or two ago, to about the $2,100 level, it seems to be consolidating in around 1900 But I think the consensus is with this backdrop is we're going to go higher on the gold price over time. And um, I think that's part of the reason why Mike Buffett himself got into the space as well. So I think ZGD, certainly a great way to play, play the space and, and perhaps the juniors if you want a little more uh, leverage there. But definitely like it. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. We're certainly still seeing the reports um, that there's room to go on gold. Uh, the the initial calls of 2,500, which were pretty remarkable at the time they were made, are actually starting to come into range a little bit, but uh, still some, some room to go there. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. We also encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive episodes, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Our latest episode takes a sweeping look at alternatives focusing on gold, infrastructure, and REITs to help investors complete their portfolios with investments that are lowly correlated to equities and fixed income. Check it out, episode number 29 in this same podcast series. Let's uh, switch gears to fixed income, and Matt, I'll come your way. Uh, We're seeing increased flows into ZFL, our long federal bond ETF. Uh, Of course, that would occupy a defensive position in the portfolio. But considering market yields, is this trade played out, or do you still see it as viable? If you can help us put it into context, how do long-term yields look compared to pre-COVID levels? And looking forward, what are your expectations on the long end of the curve? Thanks. In terms of fixed income, ZFL is definitely one of the most uh, talked about ETFs right now, uh, both 
uh, retail and institutional clients and investors uh, are starting to use ZFL as a portfolio stabilizer uh, going into the fall. And a lot of the risk that Chris had mentioned, uh, I think a lot of people are looking to insulate their portfolios um, from those. Given where yields have fallen to, and, and for context, uh, long federal bonds are yielding just over 1% right now, uh, it's important to frame your fixed income allocations uh, accordingly. In the current environment, fixed income should be viewed more as a portfolio stabilizer rather than a yield generator or yield enhancement tool. ZFL provides uh, a flight to quality trade that will help insulate your portfolio from volatility uh, that we're bound to see this fall. The government uh, exposure will protect you from any sort of credit spread volatility and credit spreads blowing out, while the long duration exposure will provide that stability if we do see equity market volatility um, and if equity market volatility increases as many expect. During these periods of stress, ZFL is an excellent portfolio protection mechanism to help you ride that wave. And I think the, I see a lot of investors looking to protect themselves uh, from the uncertainty that's to come. Putting uh, all of this in context and looking at uh, it from a yield perspective, ZFL remains about 80 basis points lower than our pre-COVID levels. So that is a quite significant, about a 40% reduction. Uh, and although we have seen some curve steepening in August, I do think that we're going to see a flatter curve for the next six uh, months as we navigate these second wave fears and, and we really start to stomach what this is going to do to our economy long term. I think that depending on how bad the second wave is uh, globally, but specifically in Canada, I think that will tell us, uh, we, we'll see that a lot in the yield curve and how, how it moves. So I, I do feel that the economy does need to get on a stronger footing uh, before we start to see some consistent and prolonged curve steepening. Uh, I do believe that this is a good, a very strong opportune time to extend your duration risk, insulate your portfolios from your portfolio as a whole, from potential equity market volatility and uncertainty, uh, as well as kind of protecting yourself on the credit side uh, and ensuring that you know fixed income is there as your portfolio stabilization mechanism rather than the yield enhancement that it may have been there for the past you know five or ten years. Great, thanks for that, Matt. And you did uh, you did touch on credit protection, so let's let's turn towards credit. Uh, we know that yield is continuing to be a challenge, of course, for fixed income investors. Uh, so we are starting to get more interest in our ZBBB, uh, which, of course, is built around the highest yielding investment grade slice, the BBBB bonds. To continue to put the market in context, what do the yields look like on this product? And when you look at the portfolio itself, what does the diversification of the portfolio look like if investors are concerned about downgrades, you know, triple B to double B, uh, and whether whether we're concentrated uh, within the portfolio. Thanks, Matt. 
we're definitely seeing uh, quite a bit more interest in Zed Triple B with this the, the search to yield trade that many many investors are uh, looking into. Uh, I think investors can benefit from the use of ETFs by being able to segment the fixed income universe and pinpoint the exact exposure that the client is looking for. In this case, as Mark said, you can pick the the uh, highest yielding segment of the investment grade universe and be able to take advantage of that yield if that's something that you're looking for. Right now in our low rate environment, we see investors looking for yield uh, wherever they can. And the uncertain economic backdrop does provide some challenges for these investors who, on one hand, need yield, yet they don't want to delve into a high yield credit or take that downside risk of not only downgrade risk, but, but default risk. So ZBBB is a perfect portfolio solution for these investors who are looking to kind of toe that and tiptoe that line. It provides a moderate duration. Uh, with a yield of about 1.9%. Triple B uh, rated credit spreads have not compressed as much as other credit segments and still sits uh, about 50 basis points wider than we've seen in pre-COVID levels. So while I look at the triple B rated credit and say, yes, is there downgrade risk? Of course there is. The Canadian market thus far has been quite resilient. And I think that is a, a factor, especially relative to the U.S., is that it's a, it's a much smaller issuer base. So the issuers tend to be uh, that, that, sorry, the issuers that, that tend to issue debt frequently tend to be uh, more stable than some of the more high beta names that you see in the U.S. Thus far in 2020, we've only seen two uh, issuers downgraded, and that was Ford and Air Canada. So the Canadian triple B market has been quite resilient through, throughout thus far. From uh, an exposure perspective, the triple B is very well diversified by issuer and by sector, providing a relatively even sector exposure relative to other segments and other products um, out there. Um, I think it's one of the most evenly weighted sector uh, from a sector perspective that we have on, on our uh, shelf. The universe has 95 different issues, so very well diversified, and the, the, the risk of significant downgrade risk is quite low. Uh, and the top two se- sectors make up about 50% of the universe. So, you know, it, it, although that is a, a large number, relative to the rest of the Canadian universe and other credit segments, that's actually quite low. Um, relative to historical spreads now, ZBBB, does have room for further spread compression, and the diversified sector base of the portfolio does provide investors some protection if one sector is hit harder by the continued economic slowdown than others. So while there does look to be some downside risk in in this segment, it does look like you're being compensated fairly for that additional risk. And the fact that you're still getting 50 basis points above pre-COVID levels tells me that this is one of the sectors that if we, if, if and when we do see further spread compression, ZBBB could be one of the beneficiaries of that um, going into the fall. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And I think that's uh, a great way to speak to that ETF because one of the number one questions we're always getting is, is risk of downgrade. So great to hear that there's almost 100 uh, issuers within that portfolio. That's certainly 
puts aside some of those concerns about uh, downgrade risk. So, Chris, let me come back to you. Um, we saw some interesting reports this week regarding the impact that leveraged ETFs have on the volatility and, and trading numbers in the underlying securities. We saw this uh, in the U.S. with the NASDAQ 100 index. We're, of course, up here in Canada. We have our hedge at QQ and unhedged at NQ. So can you comment on how the leveraged ETFs rebalance, what that means for underlying volumes, and overall how that can start to, to impact um, the reference index? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And I think it's it's not surprising given that uh, the return we've had in the NASDAQ this year, which has been pretty remarkable, certainly the, the, the market leader, um, there have been a lot of investors uh, seeking to profit, uh, seeking to perhaps make some some fast money by using a, a leveraged product. Um, so we've seen a lot of that activity, you know, a lot of call option buying as well in that space as well. So a lot of aggressive um, activity in general. And in terms of how they rebalance, you, you know, the leveraged ETF, most of them have a daily reset on their leverage. And the, the, what they have to do essentially is when the market goes up, in order to maintain that leverage, they have to buy more. Or if the market sells off, um, in order to maintain that leverage, they have to sell more. So the, the leverage CTFs are buying when the market goes up and selling when the market goes down. So what you, you know, tend to see is you know, if you get a lot of activity in a leverage uh, ETF, it can exacerbate moves in the underlying to both the upside and the downside. So I think it's something something to look out for. I mean, when you get investor activity that's this aggressive, uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a negative sign uh, for the sector. Uh, typically, you know, uh, when people are getting too bullish or too enthusiastic about stocks, uh, that that can be a that can be a negative sign, and we've identified you know valuations in the Nasdaq are getting stretched. No, I wouldn't say it's too territorial. There's certainly some very very good companies in the Nasdaq, uh, but the but the, but there's no getting around the valuation has increasingly um, become stretched over the last six months. You know, in terms really of, of how to deal with this, I mean, obviously you still want exposure to to your Microsofts, your Facebooks, and Apple in, in a well-rounded kind of portfolio, you know, and I'd go back and I'd say stick with quality, the ZUQ. Um, again, the part of the quality methodology is identifying fundamentally strong companies, companies with really strong earnings, companies with strong balance sheets. I think when you're invested in companies like that, and we've seen this with the return experience of, you know, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ obviously has been wobbly over the last couple of weeks. Uh, ZUQ has held up very well. Um, um, in relation to the NASDAQ. And I think that's something you'll find to be the case is the more fundamentally strong companies are going to be more resilient to the market gyrations that might come uh, as a result of leveraged products or aggressive option buying. So I think sticking with quality is a good way to keep a foot in the NASDAQ, but um, kind of avoid maybe perhaps higher risk sectors uh, of the NASDAQ. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And just a reminder for everyone who does look at those types of products, they certainly are trading products, the leverage ETFs, and not long-term buy-and-hold products. Uh, but interesting, of course, that we're seeing about how they are contributing more to the to the volatility in the NASDAQ 100, and lots of questions coming in as, as to that index. So, Chris, I want to switch gears and ask you one last question before we go to the lines. Uh, we've all been watching the news the last 
stretch where, where BC and the West, of course, have been dealing with the smoke from the wildfires. And that's on back of the, the challenges that everyone's dealing with from COVID-19. feels like it's getting hard uh, to be outside of the house. So we're getting more questions coming in around ESG uh, with environmental right at the top of that list. So can you give us a quick walkthrough on ZWG, um, which is our newest uh, covered call ETF where we're known for our, our income harvesting, but we also use ESG screening uh, to contribute to the portfolio. Uh, as well, can you touch on how it's performed since its launch at the beginning of the year? Thanks. Yeah, so ZWG, it's, it's an extension of our, our high dividend covered call strategies. You know, whereas before on our shelf, we've got the Canadian, the US, and the Europe. So, you know, ZWC, ZWH, uh, ZWE, along with their, their hedged and unhedged um, counterparts. We decided to make one global portfolio um, that includes Asia as well. So this is, this is truly a global portfolio, uh, ZWG. It's currently unhedged. Um, if you look at the country weights, it somewhat resembles the MSCI world. So there's obviously a high weight in the U.S. Uh, there's some weight to, to easy countries and, and Canada as well. So somewhat resembles the MSCI world, but obviously, given that it's an income-focused uh, strategy, we'll, we'll tend to seek out um, countries where there's strong dividend yields. And I think it's really a blue-chip, large-cap approach. You know, having a global selection set really enables us to find the strongest dividend payers in the world. And, and, and obviously, there's, you know, having, you know, to be able to select from, you know, 1,500 securities gives you a lot of choices. And there's, there's a lot of really high quality companies, you know. And then, as you mentioned, in terms of the ESG, you know, it's an additional overlay we decided to, to add to uh, the strategy. And, and, and perhaps something that's going to come to more of our strategies over time as, as a firm, we seek to kind of deepen our integration with ESG overlays. Uh, but certainly in this one, it's an explicit part of the methodology where, you know, we're seeking to identify companies that are better than their peers uh, on an overall ESG basis. So whether that'll be, you know, an environmental, a social or a governance score, you know, we're going to look at a cumulative score and try and weight, um, weight, weight our holdings towards that. You know, and as we've talked about on other calls, I think Waiting towards ESG is going to be a good investment strategy going forward. That's where investment dollars are going. Um, I think if Biden gets elected, you know, Biden will be funding ESG. Um, he, he will be giving, you know, government subsidies to ESG-friendly programs. You know, the, the likelihood of him giving an ESG subsidy or, you know, a, a government subsidy to coal, for example, would be pretty uh, almost unthinkable. So we think given the that's where the dollars are going in general, uh, there's going to be a good premium there. So we think that's a nice um, enhancement on the strategy, uh, not just for the sake of having ESG, but also from a performance point of view going forward. Um, um, so it's a 6.9% net distribution yield. In terms of the performance, um, it's, it's really been a solid, you know, so performed very solidly since January when we launched it. Um, again, having that real large cap blue chip focus uh, did shelter some value. Uh, as markets sold off in COVID. And, and coming out of COVID, again, uh, large caps have been kind of the place to be overall, and, and uh, it's benefited from that. So if you look at ZWG, still down 3% since we, uh, since we launched it. But if you look at um, 
you know, obviously there's been a lot going on. If you look at the MSCI dividend world index, that's down about nine and a half percent. So um, outperforming dividend strategies by quite a bit. And, um, you know, hopefully going forward as we work through this, uh, we'll, we'll certainly we'll see, certainly seek out positive returns going forward. So I think it's overall it's a great one ticket solution for any global global equity income oriented investor. And again, with the volatility a little bit high, it's a great opportunity for us to earn uh, that extra yield on the option income side and keep it, you know, yielding close to 7% on a net basis. So um, it's a really strong product and we're really looking for, um, you know, continuation of the strong trends going forward. Right. Thanks for that, Chris. Lots of questions coming in on the uh, environmental front. So good to see we've got that on the shelf. So I would like to check at this point if there are questions on the line for either Matt or Chris. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks a lot for taking my question. Uh, with the recent announcement from Brookfield Properties regarding staff cuts, uh, does this confirm that the office rental space could be an issue going forward? I just wanted to get your thoughts, and uh, do you have any concerns with the exposures within your ZRE ETF? Thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, I think office, the office subsector of REITs is certainly the subsector that we, we have the most concerns about. Um, I think overall we're, we're constructive on the ability of residential and retail to recover over time, but obviously with a second wave, uh, that might push the recovery time a little bit longer. Um, what, where we do think there's you know, permanent perhaps um, impairment is, is, on, is on that office side, and it could take, take many years to kind of get up to pre-COVID levels. Um, you know, companies are just seeking to reduce footprint and square footage. And I think anyone who, who, um, who's involved in those conversations, um, you know, every business is having them right now. So uh, certainly that would be, you know, the concern. In terms of ZRE, um, it's our equal weight REIT index, um, over 20 REITs in there. The, the average exposure to the office REITs is about 8 or 9%. So it's there, but it's not uh, super high. If you look at the market cap, index, so as opposed to the equal weight, uh, you'll see that the office exposure is a little higher, so closer to 15%, I believe. So um, so it's a little bit of a concern in ZRE, um, but we still think it's an interesting value play. Again, like a classic value play, it could take some time to work out, but I think, you know, if you fast forward two years from now and say, is today a good time to buy REITs? I think that answer will be yes to two years from now. Um, but, but are we going to get a, a you know, a NASDAQ-like return in the next three months? No, that's that's not going to happen. But, um, but, but but we do think it's, a, you know, there's an interesting value play. Concern about office, yes. But uh, overall, I think ZRE is something you could look at as a satellite position if you can kind of buy and hold it for a couple of years. Good morning. Um, if we were to look at the long-term performance of the S&P 500, even going all the way back to 1925, we could probably conclude that we currently remain in a secular bull market trend given the quick recovery we saw uh, back in March, if, if we wanted to call that a black swan event. In this case, would now be a good time to be adding more pure passive broad-based ETFs such as ZSP, ZCN, or ZQQ to enhance long-term portfolio expectations? We speak a lot about factors and other things on these calls, but is it time just to get back to buying the pure benchmark? Um, please advise. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's, there's definitely nothing wrong with the, the pure benchmark. Um, 
you know, I look at it this way. I think when one's the best time to buy, it's always a good time to invest in equities. Um, you know, market timing, you know, this idea that we can time the market is really, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people can do it. And people who say they can do it, uh, if you look at the evidence, it's, it's very, um, it's very tough to find someone who, 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 who can do that. So um, given the, the challenges with just market timing in, in general, I think it's always good. It's always a good decision to invest some money. Uh, what's working on your side? Like, um, you know, your average equity market return over, well, going back to the 1920s, as you say, is probably around 8% a year. Um, if you have that time horizon and you have the ability to kind of put some money and, and put it away uh, for several years, uh, you want to be invested in equities. Um, is, is today going to be a better day to invest than tomorrow or than next month or next year? Um, you know, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone else knows either. But I think, you know, yeah, as, as a philosophical point, you know, always, you know, investing your money in general, um, it's a good time. Um, and uh, so, you know, so I, I do think, um, you know, in, investing uh, some money here definitely makes sense. Hi, good morning. Looking forward to uh, some of your thoughts there around uh, one of your sector ETFs, uh, the U.S. Bank specifically, uh, ZWK, the cover call version. I was wondering what your thoughts are as we move into the uh, the U.S. election period and an in- anticipated period of increased volatility in the markets. How do you see ZWK holding up uh, as well as the yield being sustainable over the next number of months? And the, uh, the yield is looking very attractive today at around 11% and uh, just wanted to uh, – Hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. Definitely, it's our highest yielding cover call. Uh, the volatility profile in the U.S. banks is is pretty high. So uh, you got two things working well for it. Number one, the, the dividend yield on the underlying banks is essentially as high as it's been in in, in, in recent memory. It's over four percent now. And and again, with that volatility profile, we're we're earning almost an extra six percent in option yield. Uh, and our average option strike is in excess of 10% out of the money on this product. Uh, so, you know, this is one we've talked about on the call about having that tilt to financials that we um, we like that as kind of a satellite cyclical tilt. Um, you know, certainly U.S. financials and as well as Canadian banks as well um, still have some room to recover from the pre-COVID lows. Now, we did get a piece of news a couple of days ago that was unexpected. Um some might say unex- some might say expected some, but overall unexpected by the market where you know it was implicating U.S. banks and in, in some money laundering. Um, so that was certainly a negative over the last couple of days. We're seeing a little bit of bounce back already today. Markets just opened on uh, Wednesday morning. We're seeing a little bit of bounce back in the U.S. banks. Um, you know, U.S. banks tend to get fined, <laughs> you know, uh, every couple of years. But overall, you know, we'll see what the outcome of this money laundering is. I expect it to be more of a roadblock than a than than something that's that you would say okay they're uninvestable. So I still think there's a good um, good value in U.S. banks. Um, again, it's more of a play that might take some some time to come out, and, and investors are going to want to see you know the economy reopen a little bit more. They're going to want to see coronavirus settle down and credit risks kind of come in even a little bit more to have a little more confidence. But ultimately, I think that's the path of where we're going over time. And uh, it's, an, it's an attractive proposition. And, and the idea that you can use the option market to get an extra you know, 6% yield a year 
um, out of the banks while you wait for a recovery, I think makes it makes it interesting. So I think it's um, it's still even despite the recent news story with the you know what's come out the last couple of days, I think it's an interesting um, position to have a, a satellite exposure right now. And with that, I'd like to wish everyone a great day. We appreciate your time and be well. Thank you. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemiro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about ETF exposures that can improve every corner of the portfolio, from ZFL and ZBBB in the fixed income universe to ZWG and ZGB on the equity side. Our experts also gave context for the wave of interest in ESG, citing wildfires on the West Coast as a driver of environmental concerns and political instability the world over as proof positive of growing social awareness. As these issues persist, investors can no longer afford to ignore the downside risk to performance. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or simply visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.